While huge strides towards gender equality have been made over the years, crucial issues remain. In the world of personal finance, concerns include gender pay disparity and the fact that many women are underserved by the male-dominated financial services sector. According to the World Economic Forum, it's going to take another 200 years to finally achieve pay equality. But here is where it doesn't add up. A global study by BCG last year found that a third of the world's wealth is controlled by women. That's 32%. And every year, women are adding another $5 trillion to the global wealth pool. So how is it that the financial service industry misses the mark when it comes to women and their money? Welcome to Pocketful of Dirhams. I'm Felicity Glover, the personal finance editor at The National. Joining me today is Jessica Robinson, an impact investing expert and the founder of Moxie Future, a platform that aims to empower women as sustainable investors and financial feminists. Welcome to the show, Jessica. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. So tell me, I mean, women and financial disparity, it's, be, it's an age-old problem, but how has financial inequality persisted well into the 21st century? Uh, yes, and it's it's a challenging question. And obviously, it makes many of us bulk that we're still in this situation. Um, I think really, honestly, we've had a lot of talk, uh, but the harsh reality is we just don't have enough action, um, particularly on the financial inequality aspects as well. Um, actually, when we just look back through 2020, one of the things we did learn was that Whilst we have done, we've spoken a lot about diversity in the finance and the investment industry, we still haven't moved forward at all. So this whole concept of financial inequality between men and women really still exists. And we clearly need to do much more than we're doing today. Uh, we have we start with this gender pay gap, which I think most of us are still very aware of. And with um, International Women's Day, uh, you know, it's one of the times of the year where we really shine a spotlight on that. And I think it's really shocking that when you think of the World Economic Forum reporting that we still have around 200 years to reach pay parity, uh, clearly something's not going right. The other thing on the, the financial inequality side is it's not just the pay gap, right? We have many other financial gaps that we need to close. One of the other big ones being the funding for female-led startups. And I think some of the data that's coming out from last year, we're still looking at VC funding for women-only startups at around 2%, 2%, which is really shocking when you think about it. But on top of that, you've got gaps around gender investing, gender saving. You've actually even got a gap around gender debt gap. It is actually, there's research out there which shows that actually women pay more for certain kinds of debt than men do. Absolutely. And I mean, I, I was, uh, you know, researching this before and there was a global study last year that was put out by BCG that found a third of the world's wealth is controlled by women. But this is despite all of these other issues. Um, but one of the things that they found was that, you know, financial services the financial services sector is failing women as well. So what can be done about it? I think there are many levers of change, right? And of course, we need to look to governments and at the policy level to think around systemic changes, affirmative action policies and regulations and the like. Uh, on the corporate side, clearly, we need to have more firm commitments coming from those companies and, and in particular, that transparency on who is doing what. And we've seen that start to come in some markets as, as companies are actually publishing their uh, gender pay gaps publicly. 
Um, but that that then needs to feed through to some level of accountability. In the financial industry itself, uh, we do need to create a real shift. We need clearly more women working in the financial industry because with more women coming in, there will be a much more balanced approach in terms of services and products that are offered to customers. We also need to, to engage more closely with women as clients and customers. And I think at the moment, when you look around, we're still not really navigating to what a woman, a sort of wealth owner, a female wealth owner is looking for in terms of the financial services they're provided with. Uh, part of that as well, of course, is financial education. And, and that can come from all sorts of resources, whether it be uh, starting in school and universities, for example, which I think is a very important thing that we should look at. Uh, the role of in the, the financial industry themselves in terms of educating their clients. But I also think one element of it is, and it's actually quite interesting, is how we then communicate with women around wealth and, and their financial ability and empowerment. And there's been some really, really fascinating research uh, which has looked at the way mainstream media and advertising talks to women versus men when we, we think about money and investment products. And to men, it's very much pitched as take the risk, be a great investor, be more of a man. And yet with women, we talk more about saving and being cautious and being careful with money. So, you know, that that whole piece goes right the way through from government to companies to the finance industry, but then also the communication and the media as well. Absolutely. I think two words would describe uh, what you've just said uh, very well, and that's condescending and disinterest. Um, <laughs> yes. Definitely. It's it's just, as a woman, I find it quite, quite appalling as well. But just moving on, though, you've launched uh, moxiefuture.com, and that's to help tackle this problem and empower women financially. How are you using this platform to to reach women and help them? So, so Moxie Future, the intention behind that really is as a community platform. So we put a lot of articles, insights, research projects, evidence and data. I, I include some blogs and I try and encourage other people to include experiences that they have. The intention being to engage with women um, more around financial empowerment, the role that they can play as investors. Uh, I should add, it, it's, it's sort of in addition to my day job, so it's more of a, of a hobby. Uh, and we're focused very much on the investment element of this. So what do we need to do to ensure that women feel confident and cap capable of going out there and making investment decisions that are not directed either by advertising or, you know, or their financial advisor, that they feel confident they can have those conversations and ask the questions around the investment choices that they, they face. And I think, you know, this is back to the thing around perception. Many women perceive that they are not investors. And I think that's one of the fundamentals we need to change. And the goal through Moxie Future is, right, how do we overcome that? Uh, interestingly, you know, I speak at a lot of events uh, all over the world because this is not um, a UAE issue or a Middle East issue. This is a this is a global problem, and we know the data and evidence shows us that that women struggle with investing, but are, are also thinking about sustainable sustainable investing and impact investing. So we know this is a global phenomenon, um, and that's how really through Moxie, we're just trying to communicate, educate, and build that sense of community that women can work together. So one of the things that we're looking at building is peer-to-peer -peer networks. So 
the the data indicates that women like to confer with their peers, whether it's their friends or their family, when they're making investment decisions, more so than men who, who prefer to make decisions on their own. Uh, so one of the things we, we're thinking we've seen be very successful elsewhere is how do we set up investment clubs that really cater to women and what they're looking for in terms of their investment decisions? Also, as part of this, you've published uh, a book, Financial Feminism, A Woman's Guide to Investing for a Sustainable Future. Is this kind of a self-help book or is it, you know, to, to again, you know, educate women on how to take, you know, these steps into more sustainable investing? So it's definitely not a self-help book, I'm afraid. Um, what it is, is really an introduction and it's an introduction to financial feminism and the concept of sustainable investing with a sort of overlay of this manifesto of female empowerment. And, and what I want to do is connect with the readers on the possibilities of what they can do with their money. So it's part guide, it's part easy access book, and it's part sort of inspiration, what hopes that can lead to, lead to a movement of women who, who want to actually do more with their money and think about sustainability and, and so forth. Really, the intention is that when you get to the end of the book, the reader feels like they could go and have a conversation about sustainable investing in particular. So they can speak to their friends or their partners, spread the word, and really then feel empowered to take the next step. Um, and to your point about condescending, I think what we what we do know is that many women feel when they engage with a financial advisor, they feel patronized or condescended to. And so through the book, I want to enable that woman to then walk into that meeting with their bank or their financial advisor and be armed with the questions that they want to ask and are ready to get the information rather than being patronized or talked down to or sort of maneuvered into positions that they may not actually want to be in at the end of the day as well. You mentioned the word movement, financial feminism. I'm thinking, you know, is it a financial feminism movement that you that you want to kind of create here? But what is financial feminism to you? So obviously, you know, as at all things related to feminism, we're talking about equality. And obviously, in this case, we're talking about the belief in the financial equality. So anyone who cares about feminism, financial feminism is, is something we have to, to grapple with, consider and address. And, you know, the good news is there are some really positive trends happening. I mean, you mentioned the BCG research that came out, which indicates that women now earn around 30% of global private wealth. Um, and actually, that's to be hailed because it's increasing. But what's interesting about that as well is that that wealth is increasingly self-generated as opposed to through inheritance or divorce or something. So we're seeing women become much more in terms of economic powerhouses. Um, but the clincher for me, and this is where I moved to my definition of financial feminism, is that we also have the evidence and research which indicates that women care about the bigger picture. So through Moxie Future, we did a big, uh, big research project across the US, uh, Australia, Germany, the UK and China, interviewing women to think about, to ask and inquire about to what extent they think about impact and sustainability. And actually we found that, and this was across all markets, 79% of women feel that we urgently need to act in order to build a better world. And actually 69% of women feel it's important that their investment and savings decisions actually reflect their personal values and philosophies. And, and so with that in mind, this loops me back to 
what it means to be a financial feminist. And, and this is the main argument in my book, which is it's more than just financial equality. It's about empowering women to use their wealth, use those investment decisions to create the world that they want to live in. You know, sure, of course, we need women to invest more, but we want them to invest more consciously as well. And so for me, financial feminism is not just about women earning and investing on a on a on par with men, it actually represents that opportunity for women to use their financial power to really define the companies and the sectors that they want to invest in and actually determine how the world should change for the better. Um, and that's very much why I focus on sustainable investing. You know, this concept of, of money is a social construct and how do we use that social construct to then guide us according to our values? And that's really at the heart of, of the book. The um, statistics for impact investing are rising. I mean, we've been seeing that for the past couple of years now. There's more people piling into sustainable investments. Are you seeing a trend uh, that more women are doing it than men? Uh, yes, demand is on the rise, absolutely. And, and this is really exciting because in the last two years, this uptick has been very significant. And this is at the institutional and the retail level. Um the, the, the question about women is, you know, we've done a lot of research and it does point to women being more interested than men in terms of ESG impact and so forth. Um, and I mean, if you just think about it, I reflect sometimes I've, I've been in sustainable finance for many years and, and, and across the finance industry more broadly. And there are a lot of women very much drawn to sustainable finance. You meet a lot of professionals, female professionals in in that industry um, but I don't I do not want this to be a, a sort of woman versus man discussion you know because sustainable and impact investing it, it's of course it's not only for women it's just simply that I have acknowledged some issues that women have in terms of feeling disengaged with the investment industry or whether they're talked down or prioritized so I've, I've chosen to write a book trying to communicate with women to talk about these these experiences they have with the industry and then provide them with the knowledge of how to then become a sustainable investor. Um, but it doesn't mean a man can't pick up the book because why my hope is obviously that we all become sustainable investors. And I think that's, you know, that's the end goal, right? Um, the other thing I would just add on the the sort of male versus female contrast, what we're seeing now, because when we look at the research that's done, younger people, so younger generations are highly motivated now to think about sustainability. And this is also translated into their financial investment decisions. So actually that man, female, male divide is, is becoming much, much less because actually when you look at younger generations who are now coming into positions to be making investment decisions, it, the motivation is coming from, from all angles. And I think that in itself is such an exciting opportunity. ESG investing is quite a broad umbrella. What are you seeing in terms of, you know, younger generations wanting to invest in? Is it something like clean energy or is it more ethical? You know, basically that that broad umbrella that they're looking at. I think with the younger generations, I do feel um, that, that they're looking across the board. I think, you know, if, if you're sort of in your 20s, you've just finished university and you are starting to, to work, earn your salary and put into a pension, you want to know that you're not investing in companies that don't have a grip of their environmental footprint or have such solid supply chains that you know you don't, you know, that company doesn't use, use child labor. So I think that 
activism that we're seeing from younger generations is really going to push accountability. Uh, I think obviously the environment and climate change is a critical issue today. Uh, and I mean, I, I'm an environmental economist, so I'm very passionate about this. And I see, you know, I see with my children and I see many young people, this is a driving issue in terms of how can we tackle climate change through every parts of our lives. So through as a consumer, through the companies we work for, and how we invest in our financial decisions. So I think I think climate, if, if out of anything, I would prioritize that. Um, the other thing just to add is obviously last year, 2020, and the, the COVID pandemic, uh, you know, when it first hit, there was a lot of concern that it was really going to damage the sustainable investing trajectory. The good news is it actually hasn't. What we were assuming that everyone was going to refocus on short-term economic and financial decisions and actually what's happened, particularly in the institutional investor world, is that investors now see the, the whole the sort of risk that's associated with these global events and climate change is the next one around the corner. So what's come out of 2020 is actually a realisation that we need to be doing more on sustainable investing, not less. Which is a good thing, definitely. It is. <laughs> Just looping back uh, to the finance industry and, uh, you know, I mean, it is a very male-dominated industry. You mentioned that, you know, sort of getting more women working in the industry could help, but what other what other things can be done to cater to women specifically to get them investing? I mean, I think it has to start with the investment product and service providers spending time actually thinking about their client, their female client base. And the indications is that this is starting to happen. It's been slow. Uh, there has been an assumption that what works in terms of providing products to men works for women. And clearly that's not the case, right? And particularly around things like sustainable investment products as well. So I think the financial industry itself has to step up to the challenge. I think there's something around education, which I mentioned before, and that can come from different angles. I do think the role of financial advisors is important because you know, the majority of financial advisors are men. And it it does appear that a lot of women prefer to receive advice from female financial advisors. And I think one of the exciting trends has been the increasing number of women who are training to be financial advisors and doing that, trying to understand the specific needs of women, both in terms of the types of investment products they want, but also their risk return profile is very important. The final thing I think that is actually a really exciting opportunity is around technology. You know, we have this increasing number of apps, sort of investment apps that we can have on our phone. There are a number of coming out on sustainable investing specifically. We're seeing apps that actually do things like uh, calculate carbon footprints and then how we can translate that into what you decide to invest through your, your portfolio. So I think technology has an has the potential to actually develop quite curated and tailored financial solutions to women specifically. And, and I hope there are lots of female entrepreneurs out there who are now looking to actually develop those kind of, of platforms. That would be really good. And it also brings me to the also with tech uh, and the sort of explosion in people trading, you know, through Robinhood or the Saxo Banks and whatever of this world. So we're seeing a lot lot more people take on that sort of DIY investment route rather than going to a financial advisor. And I think it would be great, you know, that lots of women start taking that up as well. 
Yeah, absolutely. And and just to throw in there one comment, we've seen obviously with this sort of boom in Bit, Bitcoin cryptocurrencies, there's a lot of interesting data coming out but that it's very male dominated, that women as investors are kind of staying away from this. And I think that's really fascinating. I think at some point we need to unpack that and figure out what it is that women are cautious of versus why are more men interested in getting into into this new sort of asset class? I don't know. I mean, that could be the volatility, perhaps. Um, it is, it's it's such a Bitcoin, for example, such a roller coaster ride it's been, you know, in terms of um, if you look at the past three or four years. So maybe volatility is involved in that. I'm not an expert in this field at all, but what worries me is that Bitcoin slightly represents that um, gambling mentality that is at the heart of our problems with the financial system in that we need to be thinking about long-term value creation as opposed to short-term financial gain. And that's, you know, that's me getting philosophical about the purpose of our markets, but that's my instinct when it comes to the Bitcoin crypto discussion. (laughs) No, definitely. It's, and just finally, last question, what would be your top tips for women to invest more sustainably? So I think you need to do a bit of thinking up front. You need to figure out, you you cannot fix the whole world with sustainable investing. And that means you then need to prioritize what you care about. Um, So it does involve a little bit of soul searching and saying, okay, look, this matters to me or this matters. So for example, for me, as I mentioned, climate change is my really big thing. So I actively seek investment funds that are, say, clean tech, uh, renewable energy type of things, you know, that kind of product. The other thing I am really passionate about is gender lens investing. So investing in female founders. So I actively go out and I'm I'm an investor in a VC fund that we look for female founders. I've been involved in a lot of angel investing. So I think that that upfront piece on accepting that you can't fix the world, but then deciding, okay, but I can focus on X, Y, Z is really important because once you have that, you then have to figure out how that fits within your sustainable investment beliefs. So what do you want to accomplish, right? Or how specific do you want to be? And then what are the boundaries that you want to set around that? You know, some people might say, I want all of my wealth to be allocated to sustainable investing. Others might say, okay, I'm going to do 10% here until I get more um, familiar and comfortable. Some people may want external advice, others may not. Um, And then that really brings me to the next piece, which is getting educated and getting more empowered. The great news is we have so much more investment and sustainable investing analysis out there. So to use that to your advantage and maybe just start like one hour a week to do a bit of research, follow up, sign up to some of the the great sustainable investment websites that are out there. Um, And then obviously you need to audit yourself. The chances are if you've got a pension fund holding, you might wanna have a look at what's in there. So I often tell the story, of my when I lived in Hong Kong, I had my mandatory pension fund, and I, I dutifully ticked the green fund box, thinking, "Oh, that's great! I, I'm investing in, in in green companies." And I went to to look maybe a year later, and I found the top holding in that fund was actually a major American investment bank. Now, the reason they've been rated uh, as a green company is because obviously their environmental footprint from direct emissions is low because you're looking at office and paper use, but they're also one of the biggest financiers of coal development in Asia. So it was completely misaligned with my value framework. So (laughs) it's worth doing a bit of an audit just to find out if you are invested exactly what's in there. Um, And then I think the next thing is just just start doing it. 
you know, don't be put off, start doing it. And if that means just allocating a small amount of your investment portfolio, just start doing it because this is a really exciting opportunity, but it's also good risk management for your investment decisions, given the the state of the world that we're in, climate change, pollution, resource constraints. It's, it's also good risk management. Excellent. Great tips. Thank you very much for joining us this week, Jessica. Thank you. Thank you this week to Jessica Robinson, founder of Moxie Future and author of Financial Feminism, A Woman's Guide to Investing for a Sustainable Future. If you would like advice on your personal finance issues, you can write to me at pf at thenational.ae. And remember, PF stands for personal finance. Please do subscribe to Pocketful of Dirhams on your podcasting app to receive weekly updates and also leave us a review so we know what you think. This episode was produced by Lee Faisal, and I've been your host, Felicity Glover. <laughs>